A reading from 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. What a wonderful passage. Let's uh, pray and then we'll walk through this. Father, we thank you for this uh, incredible passage of your word. We pray that we would be convicted by it, encouraged by it, and that most of all, that we would not look at ourselves uh, and where we need to grow, but ultimately that we would look at Christ, all that he is, all that he has done for us. And as we gaze at him, help us to grow up into him. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. There's a church in our denomination that some years ago, ago was around 50 people. And over time, with new leadership, it grew actually to 2,000 people. They underwent a, a building campaign, built a beautiful sanctuary, and it seemed that the Spirit was doing great things there. God was working there. As people were coming to Christ, and people were growing in Christ, but, and this happens so often, underneath the dynamism, friction was brewing. Friction was brewing. You see, you get talented, visionary people together, and their strengths can begin to clash as much as their weaknesses do. In fact, strengths can become a weakness as uh, we interact with others, with the gifts that God has given to us. And so over time, and I don't know all the issues involved, but eventually there was conflict. There was conflict on the staff, among leadership. And it led to the firing of the pastor. And a few hundred people, as so often happens, left with that pastor. A new church was formed. I'm sure God is doing great things uh, in both congregations. But 
Sometime after this whole uh, scenario, somebody who was an insider, somebody who was a leader, who was grieved by what had happened, who it seems kind of saw all sides with wisdom, this person said a few years later, nothing was going on that just truly couldn't have been worked out over a cup of coffee. He also said, it would be one thing if there was some type of moral or financial or doctrinal misconduct, but there was none of that. This was just personalities. This was just personalities. Boy, 1 Corinthians 13 speaks to that situation and to us. You see, believers in community, we, we desperately need love to temper not only our weaknesses, but also our strengths, our talents, our preferences, our personalities, which means that in a majority of cases, we can work things out over a cup of coffee. Now, don't all of you come try to schedule a meeting at Starbucks with me this week. I'll get a little self-conscious. But Paul's poetically rhapsodic teaching here may be his most well-known words in the broader culture. It is often read at weddings. I have used it at weddings. But, friends, this is not a love song for a man and a woman on the threshold of marriage. It is a loving rebuke to a church on the verge of a split. You see, what this congregation, that congregation needed was they had uh, the gifts of the Spirit aplenty, but they needed the fruit of the Spirit to temper that, to shape it. So in this new series, Life Together, again, we are seeing that the Holy Spirit has united us to Christ our head and therefore each other. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We cannot grow in our faith apart from the body of Christ ultimately. But therefore, being in close contact with each other means Inevitable conflict will come from time to time. And so this word is universal. I think our church is doing well, but it is always important for us to hear what Paul is saying here. You see, as we have come together and we are with each other, that means that eventually there can be a sense that we are against each other because we are fallen people. And so this love chapter recalibrates us, calling us to relate in action, but also with loving words and loving affections. We do Christ-like things in Christ-like ways, so that again, we would grow up together in him, our head. Now this chapter, again, is so rich, and we could spend literally a sermon on just about every word that Paul goes through, but what we're going to look at today is an overview, and we will see that love is essential, love is effective, and love is eternal. First, love is essential. The word for love, you may know here in the Greek, is agape. And this refers to God's unmerited love for us in Christ. It means that we can't earn it. We can't 
unearn it, which is good news. It is actually counter-conditional. We get what we don't deserve from God, his, his kindness, his mercy, his forgiveness and favor. The New Testament scholar Leon Morris has said, this is a love that is lavished on others without a thought whether they are worthy or not. Proceeding from the nature of the lover, ultimately God, and not the attractiveness of the beloved. So this is rooted in God and his character and his care for us. And so this agape that we have received in Christ, we shed it and share it with each other. And love is so crucial and central, Paul says, that otherwise excellent virtues are voided without it. Paul says, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, then my eloquence in prayer or on a blog or in a conversation or teaching, all that I say to God and about God are negated, which is really something when you think about it. You see, in the eyes of God that if we speak even the truth, but we do so without love, then it's like a clashing symbol. It is irritating noise. One pastor said, God does not value giftedness in the hand without there being grace in the heart. Paul says, if I have faith to move mountains, and he is speaking here of, of a kind of visionary faith, it is dreaming big and trusting God to do an incredible work. And that kind of faith is a good thing, but if we have that without love, then faith gains nothing. Paul goes so far as to say, even martyrdom, martyrdom without agape is zero in God's eyes. He may be referring here to a person who had a high ideal and they were giving their lives to a cause. But even if you do that without love, you gain nothing. Now, interestingly, love is not always essential in our culture. Uh, Liz teaches middle school in Orange County, many of you know that, in a public school, and one of the things she does is she sends out connect cards to help the kids get to know each other, to help her to get to know them. So a few weeks ago, she said that she had a little exercise and she passed out a card that said, would you rather be rich or loved? And I instinctively said, especially where these kids have a lot of wealth, there's a lot of wealth in that school, I, I said they, they chose love. And she said, to a T, every student chose, I'd rather be rich. Wow. And again, these are kids whose parents, many, many of them are loaded. But as we hear that and, and we grieve that, what would we place above love? <laughs> um, maybe, actually at times it is money, <laughs> or maybe it's comfort, or maybe it's our own health. But Paul says love is the one thing that is needful, nothing. Nothing can make up for its lack. So in this way, we must be countercultural.
So love is essential, but it is also effective. Love is, love is patient, which means that we express forbearance and we are long-tempered toward each other. Not short-tempered, but long-tempered. Friends, it means that we put up with each other's weaknesses, but we also give space for the expression of God working through our strengths. And it means that we respond to people with humility and gentleness, just as Christ did, especially when we're not receiving that from others. And that is a difficult thing. Paul says that love is kind. And he actually here coins a word that wasn't popular in the culture at the time. It's, it's not a word that we find uh, in, in common parlance elsewhere. And what is Paul saying? He is saying that love is not simply nice. It is not a kind of vanilla vagueness or a go along to get along. But love is charitable, even when others aren't being charitable to us. He's saying there is no place for mean-spiritedness in the body of Christ. Thank you for not being a mean church. Let me just get that and clear the air on that. <laughs> but that's a good thing. You see, as we emphasize truth, and this is a, a congregation and a denomination where we emphasize truth, we know that sometimes truth can be hard. Sometimes we need to speak the truth to each other. And that can be difficult, but truth must be conveyed kindly, gently, sweetly. We must not express our convictions, especially, and even those that are conveyed so clearly in Scripture, we don't do this in condescending and harsh ways. When I was in high school, I, I knew a believer who was skilled at arguing. He had very good debate skills. And, and he liked to stick his nose into public moral debates and, and stir the pot. And while I so often agreed with many of his conclusions, and he would often argue the scripture very persuasively, but his tone and tenor were so often abrasive and insulting, it seemed like he was trying to score gotcha points. And so Paul is saying, don't be like that. Rather, wrap your logic in love. Now, I want to tell you before we move on to some of the things that Paul says love, or love is not, I want to encourage you for how you have shown kindness to each other. I have seen this over the last 22 years. You have expressed kindness to visitors, to families, to individuals. You have done this through texts and cards and gestures and offers of help. And Liz and I and our family, as our kids grew up here, we have experienced that as well. So thank you. Keep at this. But then Paul also emphasizes some things that, that we need to hear as well. What love is not. Love does not envy or boast. Now, this is a word to those especially who are in ministry, to those of us who, who serve a lot in the church. We need to watch out for feeling candidly tweaked and maybe a little bummed by others' accomplishments and acclaim. 
when it seems that God is blessing their ministries more than ours. I, I mentioned that story at the beginning. I don't like admitting this, but one of my thoughts about that church was, man, how did they get to 2,000? A little envy started to brew up in my heart. So we have to watch out for that. But the flip side of that is we must not boast when it seems that God is blessing maybe our ministry in a way that he's not blessing others. We must, we must watch out, you see, for comparisons that, that can lead to these kind of competitive turf wars and really harm the church in that way. Furthermore, Paul says agape doesn't boast. You see, pride is this kind of look at me and, and notice me and what I am doing for the kingdom. When Paul mentions earlier the clashing and crashing symbols, that it's just white noise if we have not love. Part of what is going on there is the pagan temples that would worship like the god Dionysus and others. There was this sense of drawing attention to themselves in clashing their symbols. Look what I have done. Look at how I am appealing to the gods with my noise. And Paul says that's not what we do. We are to not be windbags, but rather to express ourselves in humility and with humility in our relationships. And along these lines, Paul says that love does not insist on its own way, which was so applicable to the Corinthians. This is what they were doing, especially when it came to their worship services. They were each saying in some way, I want to have my agenda played out in worship. A while back, somebody expressed to me something that was quite different from what the Corinthians were doing. Uh, this person was talking about musical changes and some stylistic changes, not theological, but different ways of being the church. And this, this person said, you know, I, I sometimes miss the way we used to do songs. I, I sometimes wait, miss some of the, you know, the, even the volume of what our worship used to be some years ago. But then this person said, but I see that it's in so many ways we are learning to better express the Bible. We're seeing more ethnic diversity and our neighbors are coming. We are more intergenerational than we used to be. You see, that person is imbibing what Paul is saying. It is not about what we want, but what God is doing among us. And not only ministering to us and edifying us, but how he might build up and encourage others. One writer has said, love is concerned to give itself, not to assert itself. Love gives itself, friends, not, we do not assert ourselves. Further, Paul says that love is an irritable, and, and this means that in the body of Christ, like it should be in our families, that, that we aim to restrain our crankiness and grouchiness um, that can so easily rise to the surface when we're tired, when we're stretched, and when we don't feel like we're getting what we want out of our Christian experience. In other words, we aim to be our best 
in Christ for each other. That's what we're aiming for. And love bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. Now, what does Paul mean by these poetic phrases? It means that we assume the best in one another. When we see a weakness in a brother or a sister, do we remind ourselves also of that person's strengths and the wonderful things that God has given to him or her and how they can contribute to the body of Christ? You see, the Corinthians had become overly critical of each other. I have said often that a critical mind is a virtue, but a critical spirit is a vice. And it's very easy to slip from the former into the latter. But you see, in love, we, we learn to overlook the offenses and the failures of others. We do not stew inwardly. We do not approach each other dissecting one another's actions and remarks and interpreting every act. We don't make mental notes of slights or some insensitive comment. Uh, a while back, I, you know, it's a little embarrassing to say, but I, I was stewing over something, and I don't remember actually even what it was. And I, I let my wife know through a text, and she sent me a follow-up, one of those gifts, um, and it was Elsa and Frozen saying, let it go. <laughs> and I, I, I just wrote back, LOL, I guess you're right. <laughs> you know, okay, touche. You know, Paul is saying that in a more profound theological way. Let it go. So that we don't let each other go, friends. So that we hang on to each other. Instead of stewing, we overlook offenses. But if we have truly been sinned against, or we have sinned against somebody else, we seek to forgive and we seek to be forgiven as Christ has forgiven us. And with this framework of grace, we can give each other the benefit of the doubt. We can be optimistic about the work of Christ in one another. And that's really good news. You see, really behind all of this and part of the, the critique that Paul is making of all cultures is that so often love is contractual. Love is contractual. If you do this, then I will stay. If you meet my expectations, then I will love in return. If you make me happy, then I will uh, express faithfulness. But see, what Paul is saying here is that God's love is covenantal. It's not if them, but rather because God has loved the unlovely and he has committed to us, so we stay committed to each other. We show kindness and patience. We don't show irritability. We don't show rudeness. We don't insult. Love endures, and that makes us all more lovable. And so love is essential, love is effective, but also love is eternal. Paul says it never ends. It will not run out. 
He says to those early Christians who were very much valuing word gifts, like prophecy and tongues and, and special gifts of knowledge, particular things perhaps that God was uh, disclosing to them that they might share in the body. Paul says all of those will cease. He says we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now how do we put that in our context? Well, preaching and teaching and, and our programs and presenting the truth and vision and all these different ministries that we focus on, these are all important. Our talents are important. Using our gifts, that's all important. But most important is the fruit of love. You see, the end goal of all of this, when Paul says the perfect will come, the Greek word is telos, and it means completion. It means the consummation of when we are fully conformed to Jesus. We will fully uh, grow up. And so Paul says, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child, but I learned to give up childish things. And so what he's actually telling them, he's saying, love more and thereby grow up. Grow up into your maturity in Christ. But he goes even further. He says, now we see as through a dim mirror, or we could say a smoky glass. But then when we see Christ, we will see face to face, and we will know him, and we will know each other as we are fully known now. And as we are loved now, and so he is saying, live up into that love, into that future. Let it guide you. Because when we are complete, all those things that are irritating and unloving, those things will fall away. When we are known as we are, or when we know as we are fully known now by Christ. And so live in light of that love and let it temper not only your weaknesses but your strengths because remember these corinthians for them their strengths became a kind of weakness where they began to clash with one another in their competitiveness there's a, uh, a french philosopher uh, named alain de Botton. Um, forgive me for my french <laughs> if it's not uh, as it should be, thank you for your patience and kindness. But he uh, and his girlfriend were walking on the street in Europe one day, and his girlfriend saw a woman who was homeless, and his girlfriend said to Alon, to the philosopher, would you love me if I had an enormous birthmark on my face like she does? Well, again, he philosophized, as philosophers are wont to do, and he wrote this, this reflection. He said, the longing of all of us is that the lover admire us stripped of our external assets, appreciating the essence of our being without accomplishment, even if we are beautiful and rich, 
then we do not wish to be loved on account of these things, for they may fail us, and with them love. The desire is that I be loved even if I lose everything, leaving nothing but me. Do you love me enough that I may be weak with you? And then he concludes, everyone loves strength, but do you love me for my weakness? Well, God has answered the philosopher's longing and ours. Paul says in Romans 5, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still weak, Christ died for us. And Paul wants the Corinthian believers and us to know that God loves us despite our weaknesses and, yes, despite our strengths. It's not about that. And Paul wants us to remember, he wanted them to remember, that as we rank different gifts, he says, well, let me give you a final rank. Faith, hope, and love remain. But the greatest of these is love. And God has shown his great love for us in Jesus Christ. You could walk through this passage and say, Christ is kindness. Christ is patience. Christ was not rude even to those who persecuted him. Christ did not insult, but he asked his heavenly father to forgive even his enemies that we're crucifying him. The greatest of these is love, and Christ is love. So dear brothers and sisters, in light of Christ's unending love that is ours forever, and because we will know him and each other as he fully knows us now, let's lean into that love, and let's relate in light of that love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your immense love for us in Christ, our dear Savior. We are so thankful that you loved us even when we were unlovely and that it's not our assets that drew you toward us. And that's such good news because our strengths could fade away. And then where would we be if it weren't for your love? And so God, I pray that in light of your agopic care for us and coming to us while we were still sinners and not your friends, but your enemies, we pray God that we would relate to one another with this wonderful agopic care and concern and kindness. God, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, forgive us when we are irritable. Forgive us when we are self-seeking, when we demand our own way. Forgive us when we harbor slights and hurts, when we notice what is wrong in our brothers and sisters rather than all the wonderful things that you are doing in their lives. And God, as we come to the table, we thank you that you are forming us as your people. 
And we pray that we would know you and each other in light of the fact that we are fully known by you. And that someday we will see Jesus not through a smoky glass, but we will know him fully. We thank you for the gifts and the talents and the passions and the personalities that you have given to us. But may those all become secondary. And may love be primary. We thank you that Christ lived out the truths of this passage. That he is love personified. And may we be conformed to him, not only individually, but as your corporate people. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.